Hello, Maine and Greater New England. Hello. We're coming to see you guys in Portland, and we can't wait. We would love to see you there. Yep, we'll be at the State Theater on August 30th, and if you're interested, you can get tickets and information at sysklive.com. Throw some lobster at us. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and there's Jerry, which, by the way, we should say, Jerry, say hey to everybody. That's right. <laughs> Jerry's back. Oh, I think we scared everyone. I, I, like, joked on a short stuff or one of the recent episodes that she was gone. She's gone for a couple of episodes. She's been I know, back now. But people took it to mean, like, Jerry was just gone. Really? Yeah. So some people were a little freaked out by that. So Jerry's not going anywhere no. anymore. She doesn't want to, as far as we know. And we're not going to let her even if she does. That's so right. Jerry's here. And you're here, too. How are you doing? I'm great. Neither one of us are moving our lips. No. That's how good we are. We've done this whole conversation without any, I mean, it's astounding what we can do. Just a couple of events. We're basically like uh, Edgar Bergen. Yeah. (laughs) That's a a deep cut, Chuck. Vent, by the way, everyone. We're probably going to say a lot. That is short for uh, ventriloquist. Yes. Uh, And ventriloquism can be a mouthful. So I'm going to try and say it as little as possible. Ventriloquism can be, yes, it can. Mm -hmm. A mouthful and a bellyful. And a mouthful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Good one. I had very mixed feelings about all of this. Why? Well, first of all, I I think in a was it this that I talked about practicing ventriloquism when I was a kid. I don't recall that. I feel like it may have been Movie Crush then, but I I definitely at one point on one of the shows mentioned that at one point when I was a child, I had a record, a ventriloquism record. Like really? Train yourself. Oh, cool. And for very briefly, I thought it was something I wanted to do. Right. And I practiced it. Did you have your little bow tie? No, didn't have a didn't act yet. <laughs> didn't have a costume, but I had a dummy. Right. Uh, and I got a record. W- w- you had like a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Wow. Not a you know, not an advanced one that looks like a, a cyborg when you turn it around. Sure, but I mean, like you had a dummy, you could sit on your knee and make the mouth yes. open. Wow. Yes. I always wanted one of those. <laughs> you had my dummy. And it didn't last long. Why not? No, I don't know. I think I, I have a history in my childhood of starting things like that and then being like, meh. The, that plus the instructor on the record was really mean. I can't even remember which one it was. I think it was from like the 60s or something, probably. A mean 60s record instructor? Yeah, but then I also um, watched the, the movie, you know, Dumbstruck. I love that movie. And it's just it just filled me with a lot of mixed feelings. So... <laughs> Because it was sad, sure, but also uplifting, sure, but also sad, yeah, but also uplifting. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the documentary Dumbstruck, you are missing out. It is a it's good, nice lo-fi uh, documentary that's really easy to to underestimate. Yeah, and I think what I appreciated about it is they took five stories of five ventriloquists, and each of them were. At different points in their careers, from yeah. the kid just starting out to the lady who wants nothing more than to be on the cruise ship, I know, man. to the guy who is actively on the cruise ship, to the point where it killed his marriage. Yeah, well, he's just spoiled. <laughs> to the lady, you know, the other lady mm-hmm. who just she had all kinds of problems in life. Wilma. 
Yeah, but it was also very uplifting in that her community rallied around her and helped her out. Yeah. To the big guy. Terry Fader. Terry Fader, who, you know, is has a net worth, if you believe those sites, of like 150 million bucks. Well, he signed a a hundred million dollar deal. Eight years ago. With the Mirage. Yeah. That was for five years. So he is he's still there. Right. Okay. So he hopefully negotiated an even better deal. Four years ago. So I just want to make sure for people who aren't aware of Terry Fader and that deal, mm-hmm. if you'll go back to the beginning, we said we were talking about ventriloquists yeah. and ventriloquism. Terry Fader is a ventriloquist, and he signed the largest dollar deal in the history of Las Vegas as a ventriloquist. Yeah, at the time. But yeah, they captured that perfectly in that documentary, Dumbstruck. Yeah, just all the various components. And then my whole... Uh, I don't want to yuck someone's yum, but, like, many times I don't find them funny. You're crazy. And that's at the root of it is, like, the jokes <laughs> weren't funny to me. Well, it's it's really – they kind of stick to that vaudeville tradition in a lot of ways. And that's, Yeah, the bad jokes. Yes. <laughs> but then you see the people in the audience just eating it up, these mm-hmm. old cruise, cruisers. Sure. Just like it's the best thing in these old Vegas types that they'd ever seen. Right. So but far be it from me. To yucky yum, but there was my emotions were all over the map while I was watching. Okay, it. <laughs> well, I I half regret suggesting this article. I'm it was sorry, interesting. but at the same time, I find this delicious. So let's talk about ancient Greece and Egypt. <laughs> so um, just to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about, Chuck, ventriloquism is where you make it appear like a dummy is sitting on your knee, and that words are coming out of that dummy's mouth. Right, but it doesn't have to be on your knee. No, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be a dummy. In fact, the earliest ones in Greece, like you were saying, yeah. even before that, ancient Egypt, um, around the Middle East, there was accounts of ventriloquism. But they didn't say, you should have seen this ventriloquist I saw last night. He was great. They said, you need to go see this um, medicine man or this soothsayer or the spiritualist because this guy can talk to the spirits in the tree or in a rock, right. or in his stomach. And that's how ventriloquism originally got its start. It was a spiritual practice that was essentially... Um, Scam artists. Yeah, I guess that's a way to put it. But I mean, like, they, they were prophets and religious figures, and this is one of the things they did. Yeah, and I don't even think we broke down, really, at its root. What we're talking about in its simplest terms is speaking without moving your lips. Basically, but there's there's a little more mustard to it. Right, but it, it's, if you're speaking while moving your lips, then you are uh, a puppeteer. That's the distinction. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, you're, you're trying to make it appear as if something else is speaking instead of you. Right. Whereas the, a puppeteer will just stand behind a curtain. Sure, they don't care. And move their mouth like, like it's there's nothing. no tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> but the extra mustard I mentioned is that, and this is frequently the case when somebody's not using a dummy, mm-hmm. a ventriloquist not only doesn't move their mouth, they can adjust their voice to make it sound like their voice is coming from some other place away from them. What's commonly called is throwing their voice, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Right, but isn't that just a... I mean, they're really not throwing their voice. No. That's just a mental trick. Yes. Okay. Well, yes, but— It's they, not like they can do something with their voice to make it sound like it's coming from a different place. No, they can't. 
Well, that's not the way, the way I read it was it was just a mental trick of believing that's happening. No. Like you can't literally make your voice sound like it's coming from a different place. So this is this is it. We'll just talk about it now. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, if you are t- talking to a ventriloquist mm-hmm. and they make it, they throw their voice to make it sound like somebody is under the bridge that you two are standing on. Mm-hmm. If you went under the bridge, you would not hear that voice coming from under the bridge. They can't (laughs) throw their voice. It's a terrible term for it. But they can adjust their voice. They can modulate the volume. They can make it sound muffled. They can make it sound echoey. They can make it sound like it's underwater. They can make it sound like it's close or far away. So that that's one component of the illusion of ventriloquism is they can make it sound like you would expect it to sound if it were a voice underwater, okay. under a bridge, or something like that. I think I thought you were talking about space and time, where it's really just a vocal quality. It is, and then combined with some other magic that they do, right. some other sleight of hand and misdirection and all that, which again, right. we'll talk about later. Yeah, but it's the thing is too though <laughs> when you see a ventriloquist quote throwing their voice, they're generally throwing it to a dummy. That's about nine inches from their own voice. Yeah, typically. So it's not some, you know. No, but the original ventriloquists didn't use dummies. Right. So they were they were much more adept at throwing their voice. Gotcha. See? So when you <laughs> went to see one of these belly prophets or whatever, uh-huh. and they made it seem like they were speaking with a tree, they were talking to a tree and the t- tree was talking back. Uh-huh. It sounded to the person standing by them that the tree was talking for a number of reasons. Gotcha. Which we'll talk about later. That's very interesting. I think so, too. So, uh, BCE, you keep talking about belly prophets. I guess we should explain what that is. Um, it was literally like sometimes they would talk to something inside their own stomach, mm-hmm. and their stomach was talking back. Mm-hmm. And that's where the name actually comes from. If you th- talk about the Latin of the Greek words for belly prophet or belly talker, it's uh, ventriloquism. Venter is belly, and L-O-Q-U-I is speak. Yeah. Speaking from the belly. That's where it comes from. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, but it wasn't, uh, obviously it wasn't a, an act at this point, like an entertainment act. In fact, right. it was disparaged as of the devil. And, of course, you know, uh, when Christianity came through town and the Spanish Inquisition it was not a good time to be a, a voice thrower. No, even from like the earliest days of Christianity, it was considered a, a form of necromancy, which was fostered and enabled by the devil. So if you were a ventriloquist or that kind of spiritualist, you were basically Satan's minion. That's how ventriloquism was originally seen. And there were probably a lot of people who were uh, killed over the centuries because, in part, they were ventriloquists. That's right. But it eventually would become entertainment. Uh, once everyone kind of got a little more rational mm, and nice. was like, it's not the devil, it's not Satan. And it really transitioned to uh, performance. Uh, but they still weren't using the dummies at this point. No, they weren't. But I want to I hit on that rational thing. Ventriloquism was uh, kind of rooted out as something that could be explained through rationalism during the Enlightenment. Right. That Enlightenment thinkers kind of pounced on and said, here's how this works. So remember that superstitious belief that you had that somebody could commune with the spirits? 
this is how they did that. Yeah. So stop believing that. So that was a kind of a tool of enlightenment thinkers explaining ventriloquism. Just giving away all the magic tricks. Basically, that's what they did. In, in fact, there was a guy named um, Johann Baptiste La Chapelle who wrote a 572-page book exploring ventriloquism and explaining how it worked. Yeah, but as far as the entertainment aspect, um, pre-dummy, the kind of the first person named as a, uh, a 16th-century valet to French King Francis I, mm-hmm. his name was Louis Brabant, and he would entertain the court there. And um, the way it sort of came across to me was much like a jester could poke fun at people uh, that they normally wouldn't allow to poke fun of. Right. This is what this guy would do. But he would just do it without moving his lips, and everyone thought it was hysterical. That's the whole comic tradition of ventriloquism yeah. is the, the, the dummy or the imaginary character, if there wasn't a dummy, can say things that the ventriloquist himself or herself could never get away with. But somehow society's been like, it's fine if this inanimate object says it, even though it's really this guy saying it. We've all decided it's fine that they say it. Yeah, I haven't. I'm not uh, part of that not. society. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Chuck right now. He's just been scowling like this whole episode. Not scowling, but if, you know, like that guy with the big racist act, I'm not one of those people that's going, it's really just the dummy. I'm going, no, that guy's a terrible comedian. Is that what all this is about? Jeff Dunham is a ventriloquist? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, but I'm certainly not a part of society thinking like that cute little dummy saying terrible things. Sure. Okay. But that is the longstanding tradition oh, of sure. the comedy behind ventriloquism. Yeah, and not yeah. necessarily like racist stuff or anything like that, but just zingers and, and stinging comments that, yeah. that normally the ventriloquist w- would not be able to get away with. Well, and not only that, I got the feeling from watching that documentary that it's a little bit of a therapy for people I would guess. who don't feel like they can say the things they really want to say. So they'll say him through the dummy. Yeah, it was remarkable. In, in Dumbstruck, they say most ventriloquists, or at least the people who go to this convention that, that is covered in the documentary, were sh- are shy people. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. And it's like they're the dummies, their alter ego. <laughs> no, get a little... Uh, it's interesting. A little deep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's just the kindest way I can say it. Again, I'm not yucking the yum. Because huh. people are getting a lot out of it, it looks like. Yeah. Um. Anytime you have conventions like that, it's just an interesting slice of life there hanging out together. Yes. Any and all conventions for sure. Yeah. Ventriloquist convention in particular. Yeah. And it always – it's good because I feel like a lot of times these are people that may feel like they're outsiders and that they have a family when they hook up with these communities. See, there's something great about ventriloquism you can love. I mean, heck, I'm the one that tried it as a kid. I was certainly into it. Do you remember the name of your dummy? Mm, I don't think I named him. And I didn't go buy him. I think it just happened upon my house at some point. Oh, he just showed up at your house. That didn't creep you out at all. Well, it must have been my brother that bought it. You hope. uh, It was enough for me to get a a used record and give it a shot for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) It really seared into your memory, too, that two weeks. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I tried... Pretty hard for a couple of weeks. And just couldn't get it, huh? And now no, you I hate mean, all Vince. I got it enough. I don't hate Vince at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just not someone going, this is a dummy saying those things, not a person. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Um, but this is how it went on for a while, in Europe at least. People and, talked like that? Well, there were people in courts all over Europe, basically, 
transitioning from the jester to a ventriloquist. Right, because the Enlightenment said, look at this weird trick that all these spiritual, like, soothsayers have used over the centuries, over the millennia. You can do it, too. Here's how they did it. Let's all stop believing in it. And somehow, astoundingly, it ended up becoming a performance art. It went from a spiritual trick to performance art that people came to appreciate. But it wasn't until the 1750s that the, the... I guess they call them dummies. Uh, You could also call them puppets. I've seen other people call them dolls. Yeah. But it seems like dummy is the the proper term. Uh, But an Austrian dude named Baron Domingen started using a little doll with a little nutcracker mouth, and he could move that jaw, that lower jaw, and all of a sudden it started to catch on. At first, though, they were using tons and tons of these dolls lined up in a row. Yeah, they went from using none to tons of them. Yeah, and it got pretty unwieldy. And then I think everyone sort of realized what you should really do is get a dummy, give that dummy a personality, and then let that be your act. Right, and it was one guy in particular who kind of started that event named uh, Fred Russell, who was British in the late 19th century. And, I mean, the the... The fashion was to have like as many as 30 dummies on stage and you would act out like a scene, like a courtroom scene or something. And the vent would use their their feet to control everything with pneumatics and they would jump from character to character. It must have been amazing to see. But Fred Russell was like, I don't feel like carting all these people around. I'm just going to stick to one dummy, which was innovative. But even more innovative was that he created a character for that dummy. Rather than just, like, having the dummy say whatever was needed for the sketch, he would write sketches around the character, his dummy, Coster Joe. And so he basically is known as the father of modern ventriloquism. Yeah, and that really established the uh, the thing where you, you sell the audience on the fact that there are two people performing. And it's a buddy comedy act, but one of them has his hand in the butt of another. Yeah, and the guy who has his hand in the butt of the other is the straight man, and the guy who um, has the hand in his butt is the wisecracker. That's right. That's the way, I don't think any ventriloquist has ever done it the opposite. Someone should try that. Surely. I can't believe no one has. I'm sure someone has. I hope so. I want to hear about them. Should we take a break? I think we should, man. All right, let's take a break, and we'll talk about uh, Murphy Brown right after this. (laughs) Chuck, I want to say from me and everybody who listens to Stuff You Should Know, we're very proud of you for going through this experience of talking about ventriloquism and your past with it. Uh, the fact that I never got very far in my <laughs> ventriloquism career. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's just a small, painful moment in my childhood. <laughs> right. But you're working it out, man. It's worth it. What, you know, the other thing is I did was I got a record that taught my bird how to talk. Oh, yeah? yeah. Did it work? Uh Yeah. She could go, hello, Dolly. No. Uh-huh. Wow. And she could say hello, obviously. And I taught her to do a jungle call. What and is that? Oh, gotcha. And then she would whistle, uh, do a wolf whistle, like a cat call. Uh-huh. So you'd walk into the room and it'd go, woo, Nice. Uh, and then what else? I think it whistled Dixie, maybe. 
Should have done a ventriloquism routine <laughs> with your bird. Dolly, she was pretty great. Cockatiel. Nice. Uh, not cockatoo. No, cockatiel is the one with the big head. Yeah, the little smaller things that fly around your house and poop on everything. Oh, cockatoo is big, bigger. Yeah. Okay. That's the big white guy that I think Beretta had. The Fruit Loops guy. No, that's a toucan. I <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so uh, Candace Bergen is Murphy Brown. Right. She is also the daughter of Edgar Bergen. Who was totally insane. He was not insane. He was a one of the most popular entertainers in the country. Yeah, for decades. Uh, for a long, long time. Not just one of the most popular ventriloquists. Like you said, one of the most popular entertainers. That's right. Uh, and he did something that one would think is not even possible, which is to have a ventriloquism act on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, I mean, that's a good point. Tom Sheev wrote this article for us, and he says, like, that really points out, like, the sea change that Fred Russell brought about where he was writing jokes based around this character. Yeah. That Edgar Bergen created this character of um, Charlie McCarthy and also Mortimer Snurd. Sure. And the characters and the jokes and the dialogue and the fact that he could jump back and forth between himself and these characters, yeah. that's what people cared about because Edgar Bergen was actually not very good at not moving his lips. Well, radio was perfect for him. Exactly. But he was huge on the radio for like 20 years from this ventriloquism routine. He was a ventriloquist on the radio for 20 years. That's right. And uh, he, I don't think he began the tradition, but he certainly reinforced the tradition of um, going deep with the fact that these are little people to them. Yep. Like, uh, he's he's certainly not the first or last to give them their own bedrooms, their own beds, yeah. to, uh, you know, be sometimes they're buried with their dummy. He, le- he left $10,000 to Charlie McCarthy in his will. He left zero to Candace. Yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> she Yeah, well, she did a lot with it, so... Well, what does the doll literally do with that? Then? Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you meant what does Candace Bergen do no, with that? Where's that ten grand today? You, uh, I don't know. Who knows where that money went? But I know Candace Bergen didn't get it. Yeah, um, but she grew up sitting on her father's knee, and Charlie McCarthy would be on the other knee, and he'd make them talk to each other. Wow. Like he'd squeeze the back of her neck when he wanted her to talk or mm-hmm. whatever, or open her mouth because he would talk for her. Mm-hmm. She had a strange childhood for sure. Was there resentment and stuff, do you know? I think a little, yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can imagine. If not a lot. Well, you were talking about the fact that the strength of the joke, though, had to be uh, why he was so popular on the radio, and that's what they point. one of them makes in that Dumbstruck video. is like, it's got to be funny, no matter how good you are with the lips. Right. If it's not funny, and I kept thinking, like, all right, when is one of these people going to be funny? <laughs> Even the big famous ones. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's... <sighs> Even the almost to a ventriloquist, even the the blue ones, the not as family friendly ones, sure. are still pretty family friendly, really. Yeah, except for a few people that really just want to shock. And really, one one just comes to mind as far as I could tell: Otto and George, Otto Peterson, I believe is his name. Yeah, and his dummy George. Yeah, had a just absolutely filthy ventriloquist routine, and Otto was the straight man, and George the dummy was the. Um, just a total foul-mouthed, basically guy from Jersey is what he was doing. But he apparently, those two hosted the Adult Video Awards two years in a row. And after the second year, they're like, you can't come back. You've <laughs> offended all of the porn actors, and they don't want you to come back. Well, and then the Jeff Dunham guy you mentioned, um, 
we might as well say that this guy sells out arenas doing uh, characters like Ahmed the dead terrorist mm-hmm. and uh, Mexican immigrants and all these stereotypes, but he does it through a puppet. So it's fine. So it's fine. So you know he has the Guinness record for the stand-up comedian who sold the most tickets in, ever. Isn't that just mind-boggling? Yeah. I, and I think then, he should be reclassified, though, because some real stand-up comedian in second place is, probably deserves that award. I'm sure Kevin Hart's like, <laughs> WTF? Yeah, it's probably him, right? Um, so you've got Jeff Dunham in the world record book. You've mm-hmm. got Terry Fader with a $100 million um, Mirage deal. Selling out every single day. And then there's a show called America's Got Talent. Oh, yeah. One, two, three, including Terry Fader, ventriloquists have won that show. Yeah. Three ventriloquists. So there's like a, a weird <laughs> ventriloquism renaissance going on right now. Yeah, and Fader and um, I think, who was the other one? Darcy Lynn? Yeah, Darcy Lynn Farmer are notable. She was just 12 years old. Yeah, she's good. Uh, they are notable for um, being good singers, and they will have their dummy sing songs, and I think that's generally what seems to knock people out is when this beautiful voice comes out of that felt mouth. Yeah. You know? Like um, Terry Fader's dummy does a rendition of Etta James at last. Yeah. It's really something to hear and see. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's weird because you've got Edgar Bergen mm-hmm. from the 30s to the late 50s. It was a huge heyday of ventriloquism. Yeah. And then you've got this kind of resurgence in the 2000, 2010s. But in between, it's not like it ever really went away. Some of the most recognizable um, ventriloquism dummies, like Lamb Chop, mm-hmm. Lester the Dummy. Yeah, Madam. Jerry Mahoney, Madam. Mm-hmm. All those came in between those two times. Yeah, and they yeah. existed on the Gong <laughs> Show and the Sonny and Cher Show, and yeah. they would make these appearances in the the boom of the 70s variety show. Sure. So it's not like it ever went away. And it makes you wonder if ventriloquism ever really will go away because— I don't think it will. For one, as everyone to a person can agree, it's astoundingly hilarious, the jokes are. <laughs> and then secondly, to see a truly good ventriloquist perform, mm-hmm. it's, it's something to see. It is thrilling. Is it? To an extent, yes. I think that the one thing I can say that impresses me is when— it's really fast back and forth right? between the two because right. that is just physically impressive to me to be able to do that and right. to do the hand movements and sync it out and time it out really well. Right, exactly. Or if you're like the great Lester to drink while, you're, while your vent dummy is talking. Yeah, I looked into that trick. It's really making a sound. He's not talking. The dummy isn't. But the Well, guy... what they're doing is they're not drinking. They have trick glasses. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, they fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> So we talked about the Ventriloquism Museum because we were talking about Dumbstruck. Mm -hmm. But there is a museum. It's a converted house in the suburbs in a subdivision, I think, in in Fort uh, Mitchell, Kentucky, right across from Cincinnati. Yeah. And there are, I think, a thousand dummies where this is like where they live now. It's a nightmare room is what it is. Have you seen it? Oh, it's in that documentary. Right. Okay. And there's pictures of it all over, but it's a bit of a nightmare room. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool, if, especially if you're a ventriloquist, because as part of this saying, like, here, please, you know, take care of my dummy uh-huh. after I die, the dummies will be kept in good condition. They will be kept clean, mm-hmm. uh, washed behind the ears, all that stuff. Shined up. But no one, no one will animate them. 
It's no. just part of it. Not even the curator of the museum can touch these things. You can handle them. The curator can. But to, to animate them, make them talk, yeah. is a gross violation of the dummy vent relationship that was created over the years. Yeah, no other hand shall be up the butt. Right. Uh, except for its original owner. But I think that's fantastic. Yeah, you don't want to disrespect someone's dummy like that. No, and the Smithsonian article kind of put it in perspective. They said, like, nobody's just going to come along and pick up Chuck Berry's guitar Lucille and start strumming on it or whatever. Where was that from, Smithsonian? Uh-huh. Because B.B. King has Lucille. Oh, well, they got it wrong, <laughs> and I got it wrong, too. <laughs> it was a Smithsonian Magazine article. That's weird, that Smithsonian. Thanks again, Smithsonian. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Wrong again, gay guy to Springfield. <laughs> uh, and when I said earlier that that room is a nightmare, um, I wasn't disparaging dummies or ventriloquism. There is a, um, a longstanding sort of thing in pop culture yeah. that dummies are, uh, you know, will come alive at night and kill you. Sure, well, they everybody knows that. decidedly creepy when they're just laying there on a, a couch or something. It doesn't help that when they're not being animated, yeah. that they're referred to as dead. Yeah, they're just the laying there, floppy, eyes open, mouth agape, and it's just creepy looking. We got to read this, this um, quote from the writer. Um, who wrote this? Oh, Lauren Cantor. Let's hear it. When draped across a table or chair away from the performer, the doll's floppy limbs resemble that of a dead body. <laughs> But the eyes remain open, and the mouth is fixed with a terrifying smile, as if the body is a poorly embalmed child corpse. Yeah, it's decidedly creepy. Uh, so much so that it's been, I mean, most recently in Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen that yet? No. There's Benson. Benson is a, is a dummy that's <laughs> every time played up like it's, every time he appears, it's like a horror movie. <laughs> awesome. gives a horror movie sting, and he's in the dramatic lighting. Yeah. And that movie uh, Magic, I remember when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. With Anthony Hopkins in 1978. Did you ever see Dead Silence? No, but I just remember seeing that Magic trailer when I was seven and thinking it was the scariest looking thing I'd ever seen. It was a pretty scary one. Although, I'll bet you dollars to donuts. It's probably not scary at all, is it? I saw it recently. It's, it's oh, yeah? It's fairly scary. Okay. Um, the scariest ventriloquism TV show or movie of all time uh-huh. is an Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode called The Glass Eye. Good one. Just go watch it. Oh, yeah? Go find it on Netflix, <laughs> on Prime, on Hulu. I don't yeah. care. Just go find The Glass Eye. I think it's season three of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and thank me later. It will give you chills. It is, I'm getting chills right now. I was talking about it. it. was genuinely scary. I have to check that out. Just beautifully done. Well, and it sort of sets itself up that way and that you have a inanimate thing that you bring to life and all you have to do in the story is cross it in some way, either by forgetting about it, leaving it behind, or getting sl- a new one. Right. Jealousy is a big thing. <laughs> Jealousy. And then that thing comes to life and kills you in your sleep. Yep. It's just, it's all waiting to be. But first it starts by killing your friends and loved ones. Oh, sure. You're the then, last to go. Right, exactly. Yeah. You just wake up and your wife's gone. Your dummy's in there smiling. <laughs> right. <laughs> the window's open. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. I got to see that now, the glass eye. I think I think we should take a break and then we'll come back and finally talk about throwing your voice. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
All right. We've kind of hinted at it a little bit. We've given a lot of it away, but we're going to talk about throwing your voice. And again, to just come right out and say it, no matter what you read on the internet, no matter what you've heard from your friend uh, Jimmy, Mm -hmm. from the dummy that talks to you at night while you're trying to sleep, who cares? You cannot throw your voice. It's impossible to make your voice come from a different location. But you can make your voice sound like it's coming from a different location if you're really good at it. And that's yeah. throwing your voice. Yeah, and part of the trick is a visual illusion that happens when someone is standing there watching a human being uh, with a puppet and the puppet's talking and you see that with your eyeballs, you are, uh, you are, your brain is tricked into just believing but again, that's when, you know, the dummy is only a foot away anyway. And right. if you're an audience member 200 feet away, it's not much of a leap. So the, you, it's actually your brain doing something. It's not you saying, I'm going to decide, I, I decided I'm going to just go all in with this ventriloquist. Your brain's that probably actually, helps, though. Yeah, it does. <laughs> your brain's actually being tricked because there's something appropriately called the ventriloquist effect, where if your eyes and your ears are telling you two slightly different things, your brain... overrides your ears and goes with your eyes. Eyes win, always. So if your eyes are telling your brain, hey, I think that voice is coming from that dummy because the dummy's lips are moving in time with the sound, the brain's going to be like, oh, okay, it's coming out of the dummy. Even though your ears are like, no, it's coming a little to the right of the dummy. Yeah. Your brain says, shut up, ears, and actually overrides what your ears are sending it and merges it with what your eyes are sending it. So that you subjectively experience the sound coming out of the dummy. Right. And it sounds bizarre, but if you stop and think about it, if you're watching TV Mm -hmm. and you've just got that little speaker built into the bottom of the TV, it's not like the sound of people talking appears to be coming out of the speaker in the bottom of the TV. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's coming out of the people's lips. Same exact thing. That's the ventriloquist effect. Yeah, slightly different with movies because they actually put speakers behind the movie screen uh, to help with that effect. Because well, the movie screen's so large. Right. But even if you're just using some janky TV that just has that terrible speaker built into the bottom or the right side or something, it's not like you're like, I can't even follow this. What other TVs? What what else is out there that I don't know about? Don't they all just have speakers? Uh, no, you could have home speakers connected to your TV. Oh, right. Some speakers might have the, some TV might have the speaker in the top left rather than the bottom right. It's all over the place. It's a free-for-all. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, another thing that really helps this effect too, and this is what you want to do anyway if you want a good act, is you want to really give that dummy a distinct personality from your own. Right. Uh, it should sound very different. Um, a, a lot of times it's a different accent. Mm-hmm. You just really want to put a distance between who you are and how you talk and who that dummy is and how they talk. Yeah, because when you when you talk like that the first couple of times the dummy speaks, not only is it delivering – some of the funniest jokes you'll ever hear in your life. Oh, yeah. It's also simultaneously training the audience that this is what the dummy sounds like. Right. So when you combine the ventriloquist effect that your brain is overriding what your ears are telling it uh-huh. with the ventriloquist looking at the dummy while the dummy's talking. Yeah. It's like, look, everybody, this is where our attention should be focused because this is who's talking. Right. And then the dummy has its own personality. Mm-hmm. Those things together are the magic of ventriloquism. That's what makes ventriloquism work. That's how we come to see an inanimate object like a dummy mm-hmm. speaking like a hilarious yokel. <laughs> I'm wondering what the deal is with uh, 
why they're not funny to me. I don't know, man. I think that dummy may have killed, like, your family dog or something. And no. you just blocked that out. I think I'm a d- discerning uh, comedy fan. I, and what the deal is, is they're not – there's never been some a great comedian that was like, man, I am a smoking hot comedian, so let me get a dummy up here. It's, uh, it's sort of like prop comedy, I guess, in its sure. most basic form. Speaking of prop comedy, shout out to Carrot Top, <laughs> who is still around. He's got his own Vegas residency. Did you know that? Uh, didn't, but doesn't surprise me. I saw him one day on the street. At Ve- in Vegas? Uh, no, down in Florida. Oh, just walking around. I shouted, Carrot Top. No, he's on his moped. I shouted, Carrot Top, and he turned around and sped off. <laughs> of course he did, because <laughs> you threw a rubber chicken at him. No, I just shouted, Carrot Top. He said, what could you do with this? <laughs> So um, I kind of take offense to that because I like to consider myself pretty discerning comedy-wise. You are. Uh, that's why I'm shocked that you – do you sit around and watch this and you're legitimately laughing at how funny it is? No, never. But <laughs> I am impressed with the skill and the, okay. the, the um, stagecraft oh, it well, takes that's to a be a ventriloquist. Than saying it's very funny. No, jokes. I don't know if I've ever had a <laughs> ventriloquist dummy make me laugh. Okay. I guess I see what you're saying now. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of how you really feel about the the jokes. You know, also shade out, shout out to Nate. shade shade out. That's shade a new uh, <laughs> term. Shout, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But it works. Shout out to uh, what is it, Nate Bergazzi? Oh, sure. I finally saw that guy's special. You've been oh, talking yeah. him up. Good he stuff, lived huh? up to the hype, man. He's great. He is hilarious. He's coming to Atlanta in, uh, I think, December again. Oh, oh let's go. You want to go? Yeah, let's go. All right. I, I, we can go backstage maybe. Oh, that'd be great. He might remember me. That'd be really cool. Give me backstage, Chuck. I'll try. We'll both bring our <laughs> ventriloquist dummies, and we'll heckle him. With the dummies? <laughs> yeah. Well, we would never say Here's that. the thing. I love puppets and puppeteering. Mm-hmm. I'm like a kid in, the, in a candy store when it comes to stuff like that. Oh, have you been to the Center for Puppetry Arts? I'm a member. Oh, yeah, we had our TV show premiere there. Yeah, I love it. So there, there's, I don't know, something happens between puppets, comedy, and the weird Venn diagram that is ventriloquism hmm. where I just, I can't go there. Maybe, do you not like zingers and one-liners? Henny Youngman type stuff? Because that's what a lot of ventriloquist jokes are. It's a are. lot of, it is very old school. Yeah. They're not, I'd like to maybe see something a little more modern like a. Uh, Jeff Dunham. Like an evening with type of comedy. I see. <laughs> You want to see storytelling? Um, oh, what's the guy's name? Oh my God, what is his name? This is not making for good podcasting, so we'll have to edit it out. Is it a comedian? Oh, you want to see Neil Hamburger doing ventriloquism, <laughs> don't you? That would be pretty great. That would be astounding. <laughs> is he still around? I don't know. I mean, he had that movie a couple of years back. I'm sure he's still around. All right, so let's talk about how to do this because <laughs> okay. this is the stuff that really. As a kid, I would sit around in the mirror with that dumb record on, practicing my B's, F's, M's, P's, V's, and W's. Yes, because you can't really say those letters with your mouth closed. Because when you're you're talking Mm -hmm. as a ventriloquist, your mouth's closed, your teeth are shut, and it's just the tip of your tongue moving back and forth. Your tongue's actually retracted to the back of your mouth. Yeah. So it's yeah. astounding that just that small handful of letters are the ones that are hard, hard to pronounce. It is. But if you look at that other long list, I mean, anyone with no training whatsoever <laughs> can probably get in front of a mirror and not move their lips and go A, C, D, E, G, H, I, J, K, L, N, O, O, Q, R, S, T, U, 
X, Z. See, your training paid <laughs> off. This was the moment you were training for, Chuck. <laughs> but when it comes to those other ones, and the one I really remember was uh, B's and N's. So you, you swap out D's for B's. Yeah. So instead of saying the word boy, B-O-Y, you say doy. Right, but you don't say doy, you say doy. Boy, yeah, you try doy, to... Doys and girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the trick is, is context. When you hear doys and girls, mm -hmm. your brain wants to hear boys and girls. Yeah. And uh, your brain wants to hear... Uh, what's another one here? <laughs> that one part when the guy did Peter Piper picked a pick of pickled peppers. Yeah. He did it really like... These the ones that are really good at it. Right. You just can't see. Right. And that's the thing. You and I are, or well, I should say, I'm not very good at it. I'm not either. But um, ventriloquists are. And if this sounds really weird, all you have to do is say, well, I've seen ventriloquists before and I've never noticed. And they would say exactly. Yeah. That's like, how good we are. Start listening a little bit for P's and T's. Instead of saying the word Peter, you would say teeter. Tick to tech of tickled te teppers, which <laughs> sounds ridiculous. Right. But the practice, practice, practice part, you know, and even in that documentary, you know, some of them were better than others, even within that movie. So you could see a master at mm -hmm. work like mm -hmm. Dan uh, Horn right, or the Vegas guy. Terry Fader. Terry Fader. And Dan Horn, I do need to shout out, that, uh, everyone remarked about his uh, articulation. What do they call it, though? Just like how you move the puppet, basically. Uh-huh. Not even the mouth stuff. The handwork. Yeah, the handwork. It. And... um the manipulation is just off the charts sure. for him. He really brings it to life. Uh, but he was then, the cruise ship one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was really, really good. But yeah. then you would see someone else, um, like the the beauty contestant, who uh, Kimberly, who really mm -hmm. wanted to be on the cruise ship performing. Mm -hmm. And she was okay, mm -hmm. but you could, you know, she you could hear those T's sometimes. Oh, yeah. And you could hear those B's uh, or D's for B's. I know? didn't notice. Well, I was really... I had the headphones <laughs> in, and I was really picking it apart. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I was studying it. I think this, I mean, it's like a magician. Some people go there and watch the magic act, uh -huh. and some people see there and try and figure out what they're doing. Right. I think some people go, and they just check out, and they're like, this is the funniest dang thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and other people just stare at the lips with their arms crossed, right. waiting to catch them. Right. It's a weird thing. There's actually a scene like that in Dead Silence, that horror movie, where oh, really? a boy's like, I can see your lips move, and that boy Does pays he get dearly for it. <laughs> <laughs> Who is who's in that? Who's the lead? Uh no one you've heard of. Oh, okay. So Although oh uh what's uh Donnie Wahlberg is uh, in it. Well, he you. plays a cop. <laughs> Almost a hapless cop who kind of alternates between like a tough guy and a guy who can get pushed to the floor easily by a, a man who's fifty pounds lighter than him. I thought this was an old movie, so this is two thousand seven. Oh, okay. Semi recently. It's worth seeing. Yeah. It actually is super scary in a few parts. Dead silence. Dead silence. It's a little hokey, but it's sure. it's a cult. <laughs> I, I want to say a cult classic. Not yet. It's a cult favorite. How <laughs> about a, that? Give it a few years. <laughs> it's got a cult already. It's got a cult following. I don't, know, I don't know if it's a cult classic. We should read the rest of these, though, just in case people do want to practice. Oh, sure. D's for B's. Uh, for F, you use E-T-H mm -hmm. as your substitution. Mm -hmm. uh, M's become N's, like I said. Nuffins instead of muffins. Right. Uh, T's, like we said, become P's. Uh, V's become T-H-E-E. -E. Like V for victory. <laughs> yeah. 
Again, sounds ridiculous coming out of our mouths. Right, but we're talking, like, imagine if you played up, like, an accent or it's a little kid who has, like, buck teeth or something like that. Right. Then it's explained. It makes sense. Those are all tricks of the trade. Exactly. And another trick of the trade is to uh, not use those words much. Right, rewrite the sentence. Yeah, rewrite it. So instead of D for boy, doy, just say kid. Sure. Like the Elmer Fudd rule. Which was? Well, remember Elmer Fudd could like he he, I guess stuttered I guess and then would just abandon whatever that word he's trying pig. to say. Oh, it was Porky yeah. Pig. You're right. <laughs> Porky Pig. There's another thing about Porky Pig. Remember when we were talking about Donald Duck? How uh-huh. Donald Duck wore a shirt with no pants? Right. That's actually called Porky Pig in it. A shirt with no pants. Yeah, some <laughs> walking around with just a shirt on. Which I've said before, I know this because I've mentioned it in an episode before, I was, it's the most horrific look a man yeah, could ever don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody wrote in and said, that's actually called Porky Pig in it. And I'm like, that's classic and disturbing. Do people do that? Well, I mean, I mean just like, If you you're know, getting dressed, maybe. Sure, right. But who puts on their shirt before their underwear? There's some weirdos out there who, <laughs> who do. Or I guess a lot of people don't wear underwear. There you go. You just figured it out. I just remember the scene in Animal House when Donald Sutherland has on that right. cardigan sweater. Yes. And he goes and gets like a box of cereal off He's of the shelf. Porky pig in it. And his sweater raises up and you see his butt. Yeah. <laughs> it's disturbing. Oh, man. Not a good look. Uh, there's one other thing I want to say. We, we need to get technical here because we've been real silly. Yeah. But ventriloquists, when they are speaking, they talk in a resonant voice. So mm-hmm. it's got a real hum to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of air involved that they push through their nose and their closed teeth at the same time. Yeah, breathing is very important. So they get a real resonant voice, which is one way that they can project it. They can make it sound like it's further away by modulating their voice. Yeah, yeah. And there's a the ventriloquist called Paul Zerden. He mm-hmm. won America's Got Talent too, and he's taken it old school. Yeah, where he goes out like some of the old ventriloquists who um, worked before dummies did, uh, and fools um, hapless bystanders into <laughs> thinking somebody's crying out from a dumpster, right. and needs help or something like that. He's also the guy I think that uh, was on America's Got Talent that does. A mask on a real human. Right. He got Howie Mandel up there. Yeah. And the lady came out and would put a mask on Howie Mandel. Right. And knowing how Howie Mandel is about germs, I could see him just oh, like, wow, yeah. this person's putting a mask on his face yeah. with their hands. And he was kind of like, okay. <laughs> but then there's a, either a remote controller or something behind him where he moves the mouth. So Howie Mandel just has to sit there. Right. He does the ventriloquist bit with Howie Mandel's moving mouth. Yeah, as controls. the dummy. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> it is. Well, if you want to know more about ventriloquism, go practice. Go figure it out. You can do it. We know you can. And since I said you can do it, it's time for a listener mail. Hey, guys. My name's Nathan. I'm 28 years old. I'm a systems engineer in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Here's how you pronounce it. You did. I know. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, he has a fiance named Abby. Get married next August. Oh, congrats. He's been listening to us for six months, and he's hooked. So he says this, I just finished the eyewitness testimony episode, and I uh, finally have something to write in about. The movie 12 Angry Men. Was, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it was made in the 1950s about a jury comprised of 12 Angry Men. The movie covers a lot about prejudice, uh, prejudice morality, and everything else that goes along with courtroom dramas. But one of the penultimate scenes regarding eyewitness testi- is regarding eyewitness testimony. Don't want to give anything away, but it really shows how someone can be completely confident in something they've seen, but what might not be really what happened when you look at the details. 
Uh, without knowing it, the movie challenges memory versus reality and how we're all victims to emotion. Pretty good for a movie about a bunch of white dudes uh, in the 1950s. I totally suggest it as a must-watch, especially with the current climate of political affairs. Oh, don't mention that. Keep up the good work, guys. Welcome back, Jerry. Hey, how'd that guy know? And that's from Nathan. Did you add that? No. Wow. Well, welcome back, Jerry. Guy's good. He's heard this episode before. Well, she'd been back before this, so you're late, Nathan. Okay. It was Nathan? Nathan. Nathan, thanks a lot, and thank you for um, teaching us how to pronounce Wakeshi. And hello to Abby. Good luck on that wedding. Yeah, mazel tov, guys. Um, Send us the extra bread maker or whatever you get that you don't want. Okay? I'll take a bread maker. All right, let's do it. We'll split custody. All right. (laughs) Uh, If you want to get in touch with Chuck, me, or Jerry, or Frank the Chair, too, even, um, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and follow our social links onto the social medias and find us there. Um, You can also send us a good old-fashioned email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 